Welcome to Love Takes Action. I'm your host, Ellen Adair, and I have the privilege of speaking with people across the country who have faced adversity, conquered their fears, and in the process made unexpected and extraordinary impacts on their communities. Join me as we delve into these amazing stories and meet the people who are changing the world by putting love into action. Love Takes Action is brought to you by New York Life, helping people build better futures since 1845. Thank you for joining us today while we talk with Misa Terrell about her compassionate work with families and individuals facing serious and terminal illnesses, and how a conscious living-dying approach to palliative care provides an opportunity for all to play a part in supporting our neighbors, family, and friends in the last stage of life. It's such a mystery where we come from. I wanted to know what it was like without actually physically dying. Our breath on the inhale is a birth, and our breath on the exhale is a death. I feel like there's an explosion on both ends, an explosion of life, an explosion of death, and we don't know what's on the other side. We're all death doulas, because we're all working through each of our little deaths. Misa, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm personally incredibly excited to get to talk to you. You've been studying the practice of being a death doula. So tell us about the concept of a death doula. Well, truthfully, the concept is quite old, and there have been all kinds of cultures and communities that have been serving the dying through the supportive, energetic container of presence and love and healing just by being with people in their dying phase. And so that's essentially what death doula work is. There's so many other things that can continue to fulfill the role and practice of a death doula. But essentially, when I decided to become a death doula, I really wanted to know what it was like to get so close to a threshold that most of us are terrified of. That's what I wanted. I wanted to know what it was like without actually physically dying, what it was like to feel into that portal, because I do consider it a portal, like birth. And so what the death doula practice looks like today is that most of us have some sort of training where we learn how to be with people. We learn about the active dying process and what that looks like. We learn how to create sacred space, We learn how to be in relationship with the dying if we are fortunate enough to have some time with them on what it is they want to fulfill in their lives, perhaps in the last three months or six months. The last individual I worked with, I had two years with her when she was Mm -hmm. diagnosed. And we didn't know what it was going to look like for those two years. And she did choose a path of fighting the cancer. And I was with her every step of the way. And she made the choice to reconcile with family members. And so it looked like me spending time with her and just reflecting back on what that looked like. Like, what, what else do you want? And she also wanted to find joy and spend some time traveling alone with her partner. So anyway, those are just a few things. There's also bedside death care which is one-on-one caretaking. There's also ceremony and ritual after death, Mm. taking care of the body and 
That is usually done in conjunction with family and the wishes of the dying and how they want that to look like. There's also the death wishes as far as medical power of attorneys and living wills and doing the nitty gritty, you know, the paperwork side of death. Death doulas can support in that as well. Yeah. I mean, there's so many fascinating things that you said, but I just want to tug on one string, which is what you said about death being like a birth. I mean, you said it was like a portal, but then you said it's sort of like a birth. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, these are the bookends of our active life. It's such a mystery where we come from. You know, we know the biology of it. We know the science of it in terms of speaking about it as a portal. I'm a mother, I have two children, and I think we raise them the same. However, they're completely different beings with different ways of thinking, different ways of behaving, and to try to understand how did this happen? But for me, it really comes back to the beginning and the end and the mystery of what's on the other side of those bookends. And many, many birth doulas end up becoming death doulas and vice versa because we're just fascinated with the explosion. I feel like there's an explosion on both ends, an explosion of life, an explosion of death, and we don't know what's on the other side. I mean, truly, it's an unanswerable question, right? (laughs) Because it is about the greatest mystery that we have. But what you said really gave me chills to think about. And I think just, you know, in case any of our listeners don't know, a birth doula is obviously somebody who assists with the birth. So a death doula is also basically for the birth on the other side, the rebirth into whatever the transition is that comes next. So how did the idea of becoming a doula find you? It found me after the death of my grandmother. Mm. My father's mother fought four different cancers and eventually just ended up dying of old age. And she Mm. faced that death head on, like it was nothing. And the last time I saw her was about three weeks before her death. I flew up north to see her and she was a champ. And I was so inspired when she passed three weeks later. You know, I was feeling the grief and also honoring who she was. And I was in a cafe and I saw a flyer for Death Doula. And at the time, I had no idea what that was either, but I knew I was intrigued. And so I reached out and it was a training locally. And initially, I did not have the funds to take this training. So I set it aside and decided, well, when the time is right, I trusted And then I received a phone call literally like one week later from a relative who was handling my grandmother's will and said, Grandma Jane left you some money. And that was how I was able to take the training. So, you know, that was a wink and a little nod and an extra hug from Grandma, you know. It's so perfect. It's so perfect. It's amazing how things sometimes can work out like that. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like we really compartmentalize death a lot. And I know you've already talked about this a little bit, but have you always been comfortable around death or was it seeing your grandmother's transition that really sparked something for you? I think I've gone in phases. When I was young, that was my first encounter. I was four years old with a dying person. This was my great grandmother in Japan. And at the time I was living in Japan and my mother would say, I was not afraid of coming up to her. I remember what she looked like. It was like skin and bones on the floor. (laughs) 
And when she would talk, mm. like she had such hollow cheeks and I could barely hear what she was saying, but she was whisper. And of course, I don't remember what she was saying, but the energy, the feeling that I had was that she just wanted somebody to talk to, you know? So I was there for her in that way. So that was my first experience. And I don't remember fear then. I don't remember having fear around death. I think the real fear did come in when I became a parent. That's when really death starts to take on a different meaning. And I think part of that, I think, really spurred my interest in learning more about death. And I feel like if our culture can really start to use curiosity as a guide for death, as opposed to fear, well, more questions will come up, but I think a lot of opportunity for answers about our own relationship to our life could be answered. I think underneath a lot of fear of death is our own hang-ups, obstacles, stories about how we're living our own lives. And that takes deep reflection, deep courage. And I would encourage that for anybody. It's a journey. You can just be like an inspector, like checking out your life. Like, why does this bother me? Yeah. I think if we could make curiosity greater than fear in all regards, everything would be much better. <laughs> if everybody could take that little bit, you know, and sort of apply it to any scenario. Although, as you had already mentioned, every scenario is about life and death. In fact, every moment is about life and death. And something that was coming up for me as you were talking about your journey is that really we make fear of death into one thing, but actually it's a lot of different things, right? There's fear of death that is fear of losing other people, right? And then there's fear of the unknown, and there is fear of, you know, whatever the process might be to get there. But then there's also fear of not enough life, the fear that we might not do what we really want to do before we die. And I think we lump all of those things together, but they're actually separate. Mm, yes, I think you're right. I think a lot of times I'll speak for myself, I get hung up on my own expectations. I think one of the things about becoming a death doula really helped me was the idea that I deserve something. I deserve mm. to live. I deserve to have this. I deserve to have that. But if I focus on the now and recognize that, you know, I'm not in pain at this moment. I have everything that I need at this moment. The sun is shining. The hummingbirds are out. It's a pretty dang good day. And that feels like an oversimplification perhaps, but this is for me where the juice is because the more I project externally, I can definitely go down a, a dark rabbit hole anytime I want. It's always there. I can choose yeah. any dark rabbit hole I want. So the free will and the choice is, or I can recognize how much love I have in my life, how great it is to just be with my friends or sit by the water or whatever it is that floats my boat in the moment. That is the choice that I can make and changing my perspective yeah. and my attitude. And this, it does go back to perspective every single time perspective. If I think I have it bad, let's talk to my friend Susie over here. She is dealing with a mom with Alzheimer's and it's really hard for her, you know? So can I let go of whatever hangups I have and really consider the bigger picture? So that's a daily yeah. practice, as you know, it's a daily practice. You're so incredibly wise. I could listen to you talk all day, every day. <laughs> My life would be so much better. I feel like one of the threads through everything here 
is presence, right? One of the things that you were talking about is rather than projecting into a possible future, catastrophizing the fact that that rabbit hole is always there for us to go down to if we're going to make that choice, as opposed to being in whatever is present in front of us and whatever is good in that presence. Because something that you said earlier about being a death doula is that it is, you said, a supportive, energetic container of presence, which I thought was so beautiful because it's sort of like presence for yourself, but it's also about presence for other people and the incredible power that that has. Oh my goodness. That really is the pillar for holding space as a doula, but you're right, for holding mm-hmm. space for everybody, anything. And, you know, we, in general, sometimes we get caught up in thinking we have to say the right thing or do the right thing. And essentially most what I've found, what people need most is the space for them to have their feelings and to share their feelings without judgment, without needing anybody to fix. They just want the reflection. And really, that's all we're, in my opinion, that's all we're here to do is be really beautiful, clear reflections of each other Mm. without having to fix anything. So we were talking about presence as, I guess, one of the major tools in the Death Doula Toolkit. Are there any other ones that you'd like to speak to? So another important thing for anybody in the health trade, particularly for working with the death and dying, they have to make sure they have self-care and are taking care of themselves first. And so a radical commitment to self-care is probably one of the biggest things working as a death doula. Having the ability to hold space and be present and also letting go of the idea that you're saving anybody. I had to learn very quickly is be respectful of everybody's idea of death. In this culture where we are so afraid of death, you're gonna get all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds that may not believe the same things that you believe about death. And so there is this sense of non-judgment and this sense of allowing and respecting whatever and however death shows up for them to just Mm -hmm. hold that space and reflect that back to them in a way that's loving let them know that they're safe. So that is another big part of becoming a death doula and just knowing how to work through those emotions about what you think it needs to look like or what death needs to look like for another person. And a lot of times you'll be working with families too and families that have history, families that have baggage. And so how do we hold space and create a sense in that room when families can be agitated So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of practice and learning and how to be with people in general. And guess what? This practice works outside of that room too in your own family. So it just works across the board. So I would say those are some of the main things about what to remember in holding space for others in death. Yeah. It makes so much sense that you're trying to essentially reflect back to them whatever their idea of it is, right? Rather than like trying to create something new, I guess, because I can imagine that there's probably already enough resistance from people, you know, whether it's the person who's dying or their family members to the process overall without also, I guess, confronting a new idea would be one way to say it. It's true. It's true. And then you have all the different religious beliefs 
deaths and just how people approach death from their own culture, you know? So there's a lot of space to allow, allow people to express however they need to express. And so that gives us as doulas a lot of permission to just come back to the number one tenant, which is hold space, create a beautiful energy of acceptance, and that's it. It's really that simple. Mm-hmm. What was the training process like to become a death doula? Well, there was some homework in between actual live sessions. We would meet in person. There would be a group of us. And the entire session was essentially learning how to hold space, how to listen, how to reflect back without projecting. We also had experiences of our own death. We wrote letters to our loved ones as if we were dying. And really, it was Mm. about confronting our own relationship to death. Because essentially, until you do that as a doula, it's really hard to hold space if you're running your own stories and your own tapes. We did a grief ritual. So grief is such a large part of the work with death. And so we had to Mm -hmm. confront our own grief. There was so many different books that we were encouraged to read. We learned a lot about ritual and ceremony, too, how to hold space and ceremony. And sometimes the simplest of ceremonies really gives people a connection to the beyond and how to support their loved ones beyond the physical realm. What can we do in ceremony and to help carry the energy of our loved ones into the next phase of their life? And so it's really a holistic practice. And of course, then there's, you know, how to do healthcare directives, how to do living wills and encourage people to take care of the law side of things, as we were talking about earlier, and also how to take care of a body. And so there were many, many aspects to this work, but it doesn't end from the training, you know, it just keeps going. And I do feel like these days there's a lot more opportunity to explore this type of work. And there's a lot more death doula schools now. There's communities popping up. And so I am encouraged by this type of creation. And I'm hoping that it'll spread across the states because we need it. We need it. I'm curious, how is it different helping the person who's facing death and helping the family? It's quite different. Well, the one thing they do have in common is they're both dealing with grief. So addressing the grief and holding space for that and reflecting back and giving them space to do their grieving. Often the death doula worker is providing an opportunity for the family to grieve while they're sitting with the dying. And the conversations with the dying are very different sometimes from the conversations with the family. The intentions are the same in that they they all want connection or resolve Mm -hmm. or redemption. But the dying often want to make sure that their families are going to be okay when they're gone. And the families are often concerned about the dying being comfortable and are they going to be okay. So oftentimes we're spending time on both ends, just assuring, providing respite time, providing meaningful time for the families to connect. And it could just be just reading a book for their dying loved one or just being with them and encouraging them and how to be with the dying because they're dealing with their own stages of grief in addition to trying to figure out how to hold space for their dying loved one. Sometimes we guide the family members and how to create the space 
So they'll beautify the space, they'll bring lights, they'll bring flowers or all the things that the dying person loves. They, oftentimes family members just need something to do so they can feel mm -hmm. effective. And so we sometimes just give them ideas of how they can create a beautiful, loving space for the one that's passing. And it, every family's different. <laughs> so you really have mm -hmm. to go in with an open mind and an open heart and being willing to just expect the unknown. Yeah. Were there ever any patients or family members that you felt like you couldn't help or reach or you felt like you were unable to tend to them in some way? In my personal experience, I think the hardest thing I have found is that sometimes there just are no answers. Sometimes there isn't a way to fix anything. And mm -hmm. it's just about allowing people to be with their feelings, which can be extremely uncomfortable. And that's why the doula training is so important about learning how to hold that intense space how to be with, as opposed to trying to fix or change anything. Are there any patients or family members that their circumstances have stuck with you more afterwards? Well, let's see. I would be lying if I said it wasn't hard. All of it's hard because we're faced with mortality. We're faced with the end of breathing. When you sit with a person that's no longer breathing, you can feel the energetic shift in that body. Mm. You can feel the spirit gone. There's no doubt you can't help reflecting on your own mortality every time you're sitting with that. Yeah. You were talking about the moment of experiencing the last breath of someone's life and how difficult that is. But have you also felt a power in that moment? It's interesting because, sure, like as a death doula, I think we all want that experience. Mm -hmm. And I would say, yes, there is a power in it. But honestly, I think the true power is in learning how to value the breath before it goes out. Mm -hmm. The preciousness of what it is that we're doing here is what actually needs to be amplified as opposed to the idea that being at the death, the last breath of somebody, while that is a powerful experience to feel that life leave, what it really is supposed to do is inform us of how precious every breath that we have is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm just trying to normalize the idea of the last breath. Right. That it's part of the rest of the process. Yeah. Another experience I had as a death doula is somebody actually asked me, we really actually don't want you to come during our dad's death. We actually want you to be there after. Can you come after and help us do a ceremony just so that we can celebrate his life? And that was a powerful ask because these people understood that it is really the celebration of life that they really want to place the emphasis on. And so they wanted that moment, that last moment with their dad, and I got to come in and help them celebrate it. I love that so much. I mean, there's no wrong way to do it. There's no right way to do it. It's just really following the heart on the best way we can express our love for life, you know? I think that this has been, you know, in essentially everything that we've talked about today, that it's essentially about being more conscious of death is about being more conscious of life and about understanding how you want to live. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about what taking on this role has reflected back to you about your life? You know, part of working in the death doula work and really coming close to dying is 
actually embodying the remembrance that living and dying happens every moment. Birth and death happen all the time, all day long, and we can even just focus on our breath. Our breath on the inhale is a birth, and our breath on the exhale is a death. And each of us have had countless opportunities for living and dying, death and rebirth throughout our entire lives, just through our transitions. And so I think those of us that really, really want to get close to death, it really informs our life. It informs how we want to live because then we begin to understand that living and dying is a daily practice. And all the challenges that we get to partake in, lucky us, every day mm -hmm. is a practice for death. It's a practice for healing, it's a practice for release, and it's a practice for rebirth. So while the actual physical act of birth and death are bookends, we are living and dying every day. And not just through our own experience, but from witnessing others, witnessing our world and what's happening. It is an opportunity to practice grief. It's an opportunity to practice death. And how do we come back from that every day with all the challenges that we see personally, globally, communally? I mean, we're all death doulas, every single one of us, because we're all working through each of our little deaths. There's a saying mm -hmm. that goes like this, most people will die in the way that they lived. And that is really actually a powerful statement. And honestly, as a death duel, I've seen a reflection of this many times. And I would say, you know, we're going to fear death. So let's say if we avoid talking about it, if we avoid having these conversations, it's going to be a lot more difficult when the time comes for all of us to pass through that portal. So I would really encourage us to take the time to spend exploring that aspect of our lives. Where have we died in all the ways that we've lived? How many opportunities have we had to actually die in just transitioning, changing jobs, changing relationships? And if we have the opportunity to be with people that are on the autumn of their lives, our elders, that is another way that we can really explore what life has to hold and what it's like to get this close to death. And so I would really yeah. encourage exploring, being with elders, talking to them, sitting with them. There's so much wisdom and so much juice. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the movement around the concept of conscious dying, you know, the concept of everything that conscious dying touches as well, do you feel like that movement is growing? Not yet. In my little bubble, yes. Mm -hmm. But I step outside of that community and I know that it's mm -hmm. bubbling up here and there. Has it grown since 10 years ago? Absolutely, yes. I have so much hope and excitement about our younger generation. Just seeing it through the eyes of my son and daughter and through other children their age, these kids are waking up and learning a lot quicker than my generation. And so I'm excited and I have faith that this conscious dying and living practice is going to spread because ultimately it's about what we want, which is to celebrate and have fun and live. Yeah, if we're going to see that reflected more anywhere, to be able to see that in the younger generation, that's really the seed of hope, I think, for all of us. So we're going to conclude with a few more slightly open-ended and more rapid-fire questions. So my first question is, why do you do what you do? Oh, because it feels good. <laughs> because it feels good to connect with people and it feels good. Oh, 
So relatedly, when and where are you happiest? I'm happiest when I'm moving my body and connecting with the energy around me, the aliveness around me. So that could be hiking, mm -hmm. it could be dancing, it could be walking in a park with my husband, but just moving my body and feeling into the energy around me. Thinking about this journey that you're on, what is something that you wish you had known years earlier? Oh goodness, that perfection is overrated, that judgment mm -hmm. can be poisonous, and that goodness, that all the love I need is already here. It's already here. I just need to open myself up to receive it. That's the whole deal. <laughs> yes, that's the whole deal. Let's just be clear. It's a practice every day. Yes, completely. I feel like that's the thing that I'm always trying to learn, even though I already know it. On the flip side, is there something that you wish you could have left behind years ago? Yes. Well, we talked about guilt. I think guilt is a, is a heavy one for many, many people. And I understand now that guilt is actually, for me, more of a self-centered concern. And I can let that go. So wise. Do you have a motto? Feel everything, be curious, and always come back to self-love. There's probably more, but that's what I can come up with right now. <laughs> well, I feel like you've said a good number of things in this conversation that could definitely be a motto, you know, let your curiosity be greater than your fear or... <laughs> and I did think of one more. Oh, please. Surrender is a full-time gig. That's my favorite. I have to tell myself that one every day. It's so perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much oh, this for is so talking fun. to me. You thank are you, a beacon of light in the world. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Love Takes Action. If you like what you hear, we invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, add your comments, and share with your friends and family. It's a chance to celebrate the voices of our inspiring guests and their wonderful stories. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or visit our website at newyorklife.com. Love Takes Action is brought to you by New York Life and is for general informational purposes only. References to any financial products or strategies are solely incidental and may not be construed as a solicitation. The views and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the guests and hosts. They do not necessarily represent the opinions or viewpoints of New York Life Insurance Company or its subsidiaries.